page 1197 in your pew Bible, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one can see the Lord. We sang one of my all-time favorite hymns this morning, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And it actually has other verses that aren't in our hymnal, but what a remarkable hymn written by Robert Robinson in 1758. And here's what I want to say to start with on this Father's Day. In the second verse, he says, Here I raise mine Ebenezer, which is a beautiful, artsy way of saying, I put up my stone of remembering. Now, he's drawing actually the whole hymn from 1 Samuel chapter 7. And in verse 12, this is what it says. Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. And it was a kind of obelisk that you couldn't miss. And it was a reminder that God has brought us this far and therefore we can look to that and know that God will certainly get us wherever we're going next, as long as we go in faith and dependence upon him. And my premise for Father's Day, which I'm going to back up with some personal testimony again this week, my premise for Father's Day is, dads, this would be a great day to put up a stone of remembrance somewhere in your yard so that you have to mow around it and trim around it and never forget that God brought you this far and God will bring you further yet. That's important. Now, if you're like me, you try to reduce the number of obstacles in your yard so that your mowing can be more of an adventure in low-speed racing. <laughs> and yet... You need this reminder, this thing that'll knock you right out of the seat of your riding mower or bust a wheel off of your push mower or eat a lot of string on your line trimmer so that you have to examine this thing and then examine yourself regularly and say, here I raise mine Ebenezer, my stone of remembering. And this is what I want us men especially to remember. Ladies, you're allowed to listen in. But under no circumstances are you permitted to wag your finger at your loved one and tell them, did you hear what pastor said? That is inexcusable. Let them brood over it as they must and trust that you simply loving and accepting them for who they are will bring them to their stone of remembering. Being a dad absolutely and utterly transformed my Christian life. Now we're talking about perfect love in this series of messages or entire sanctification as Wesley defined it and that is a lofty goal that I'm hoping by the end of this series I will find more within reach. But I will tell you that I've never done anything that was spiritually significant in my life that didn't first begin with 
a statement or a staking out. You know, like, okay, here is where I'm going to mark my path and never turn back. You know, there, there's, I don't know about you, but, but there has to be a certain amount of resolve in your life. And those moments of resolution, they need to be marked. They need to be, they need to have a sort of anniversary date. And if they have a certain nature that requires you to upgrade or improve them or somehow, you know, I don't know about you, but I get a lot of invitations to upgrade my subscriptions and my, my various uh, devices will remind me that if I pay just a little bit more, I can have a little bit more of cyber protection or something. And so if your resolution this year is on the limited basis, then I advise you next year at this time to consider upgrading it because there's no benefit to doing the same thing the same way year after year if it has not changed you and improved you and caused you to, if I dare say, man up. And I don't care if you're 88 years old, you're never too old to man up. And that's what this message is meant to convey. Being a father especially is a holy pursuit. And when my bride told me that we were pregnant, I had a moment of utter fear that was followed by a moment of incredible resolution. A moment of staking myself out and saying to myself and to the Lord, to no one else's hearing, just between he and me, I said, well, now I don't have the uh, luxury of complaining about how I was brought up or whether it could have been done better. Now I got to put up or shut up. Now it's time to be the dad that I want to be the kind of father I want to be. And I'll tell you a little something that really drove the point home because, you know, six months or so later, I'm holding my little infant daughter in my arms. And, and you know, the first time is the most incredible, but every time you hold that child in your arms as a father, you feel humbled. And you look at your wife with a whole different set of eyes and you suddenly admire her and respect her and love her like you could not have before that. And you're even a little jealous if the truth be told because she's been able to do something you cannot even comprehend in that she carried this child within her and will nurture this child with her own body. And you look at that and you look at it with a certain reverence and so that reverence is a great moment of vulnerability. And I held that baby in my arms and I thought, oh, it's a girl. We didn't know which we were getting until birthday. And, and I remembered some girls that lived across the street from us at the time who I wasn't impressed with. You know, preteen girls with big mouths and attitudes who spent a lot of time strutting around like they were older and sluttier than they really were. Did the pastor just use that word? Hey, if it walks like a duck, quack, quack. And so I thought, oh my gosh, how in the world am I going to prevent my daughter from being like that? I was 20-something, and that's how you think when you're a 20-something-year-old guy. You're going to fix it. And then it hit me. 
looked over at my bride, recovering from this incredible enterprise of giving birth, and, and I thought, I got to love her mother and teach her to see her mother through my eyes of love, and then she will expect that sort of treatment from the boys and the men in her life. And so I set about being the best husband I could be so that I would raise godly daughters. And then the sons came along and, well, same procedure, slightly different formula, but ultimately the goal was to be a certain kind of godliness that was real, you know, that even gives you the opportunity to say things that are completely unexpected in a sermon, and yet also be authentic in your utter and complete devotion to Christ. Because, you know, I'm going to tell you something, dads. Your sons especially, I wrote about this on Wednesday. You might want to look it up. There's paper copy out there in the lobby. I, I was a little afraid of what I wrote, but then I thought, nope, it's true as far as I know. And here's what I know. Dads, they're watching you and they're not paying attention, so it seems, to what you say, but they are paying attention to everything you do. And dads, those boys notice, and the girls too, how you treat their mother. They notice how you talk about what you see on TV, hear on the radio, read in the paper. They notice the attitude you bring home with you from work, and they notice a million little things. And it really dawned on me that if I wanted my boys to be godly men and eventually godly husbands and fathers, that it was in the little things that I was going to win that battle. It's easy for a dad to imagine, especially in the neighborhood that I lived in, trying to create a situation where you had a holy and wonderfully godly young woman. But boy, you know, we are really a little bit lazy when it comes to our sons, dads. We can be. In fact, we have a real bad habit as dads of living vicariously through our sons and imposing upon them certain expectations that were unmet in our own lives. But what I learned and what I believe is true, and it's the heart of this message of sanctification, is that the best thing you can do to raise godly sons and daughters and to nurture a godly home where the wife is really loved and celebrated is sanctification. The most important thing you can do, men, to provide for your family is to provide for the constant upgrade and improvement of your holiness as a Christian man. You come to church for a who knows how many reasons that are beyond me and some I know real well, but others I don't know. But I can tell you this, if you're not hearing that you have a mission and a responsibility to be a godly man. And that the only way that happens is by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the only way that that happens is new birth in Christ. And the only way that happens is if you stop trying to be your own man, rugged, independent, and utterly determined by your own def definition of success. 
you stop running in that direction and you wait until the Lord catches up with you because he's right behind you. And when you say, yes, Lord, I'm a sinner and the only hope I have is salvation through you, thanks for chasing me down and offering me justification that I don't deserve and I can't earn no matter how hard I work, no matter how tall I stand, no matter how tough I am. The only solution for my problem is sanctification. And that comes because you accept the fact that you really have a holy responsibility as a husband and a father. And the only way you're going to be able to reverently fulfill that responsibility is with the help of the Lord. And the Lord's Holy Spirit is in you and ready to awaken this godly, sanctified man within. And then you're going to learn something incredibly important, men, and that is you can't do it alone. And you can't do it hanging around with men who don't get it. And this is what happened in the Wesleyan movement. John Wesley, like a lot of clergy, I'm going to lie. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to tell you the truth just like I spoke some words that startled you a little bit. I'm going to tell you another startling truth. There's a lot of men out there that don't go to church because they think it's silly, it's a waste of time, and that pastors aren't very manly men. Can't tell you how many times I've run into that one. I lived in parsonages for 20 years, and every parsonage we lived in tried to kill us. It's true. Church maintained and quality assured. Thank you for not having a parsonage. Because now my house is my responsibility, and I still remember how to fix things and upgrade and repair things. And believe it or not, I learned a lot of things in my life before ministry that a lot of people never assumed a pastor would know. And believe it or not, an awful lot of times in my life, I got treated like a not-so-manly man by Christian men in the church. You see why I'm coming down hard on you fellas? Not because you deserve this, but because the men of the church need to man up. And it's time like it was never before. Because part of the reason things are so messed up in this denomination and so much of Christian life is because the men are letting the women and the children be the church. And they're assuming that pastors only appeal to the like. And you know what? Men need to man up. And I mean get sanctified and take it seriously and lead like your family is the most holy endeavor on the planet. If sanctification is a spirit-led pursuit of holiness, then that is what we need to be doing. All of us. But especially the men. Especially the men. Your kids notice, Dad, every little thing you do. And they have a tendency to shut you down and not listen to you when you lecture them. But boy, do they notice every other thing. So your sanctification is your only hope. And maybe you're saying, well, my kids are grown now. I have grandkids and great-grandkids, and maybe this part of my life has passed. No, it hasn't. Because I'm a grandfather now, and I find that my sons and my daughters still look to me. 
Because now they're trying to take on this holy endeavor of family themselves and they're still looking at me and here's what they're looking for now. They're looking for me to say, you got this. You're all right. You're not, you're not messing up. You're doing fine. It's okay. When I was 20, I didn't know anything either, but I sure thought I did. It's all right. Now I got scars and a weary spirit, and I got all of that wisdom that came with them. So yeah, I'm glad that you actually seek my opinion once in a while. I appreciate just listening to you talk about your life as a husband, a father, and a provider, and, and your professional pursuits. And, and I love just listening to you talk, son. I just love listening to you talk because in that, I get Father's Day every time we have a conversation. Because it's not about me. Dads, moms, can we, can, I'm gonna bring it home here. Sanctification is a realization that none of this is about you. Sanctification is a holy and entirely appropriate pursuit of selflessness. You think, well, okay, you keep talking about sanctification. You keep talking about this growing up Christian and becoming more holy with every day of your life. And, and yet I don't hear you saying practical steps. Get over yourself would be step one. <laughs> All right. Step two would be remind yourself daily that none of this is really about you. And step three would be enjoy and delight in what your humility does not produce, but that grows in the absence of your productivity. You know, it's a funny thing. Every time I tear up my lawn with a piece of equipment, which does happen regularly, weeds grow in the spot where the grass used to be. And they grow back so fast that the grass can't get in there. And, and this is a terrible analogy because I'm actually going to praise the weeds for a second. <laughs> Sometimes when you get over yourself, you're creating a bald spot in your world where other things can grow. And it cost you something. If there's one thing that really came home to me this week is I thought a lot about my role as a Christian leader, as the leader of my household and my, my beloved family. And, and, and it finally just kind of dawned on me that it costs you a lot. It costs you a lot. And if you don't pay the price, then someone else will influence your children and your grandchildren. If you don't pay the price and sacrifice your self-interests, they'll get what they need somewhere else. And honestly, folks, have you noticed in our world today all the terrible things that are happening because someone else is raising our children? Gangs? social organizations, ideologies. It starts with leadership, and the leadership in the home is the most important place of leadership. And if church doesn't do anything else for you, then I hope at least it reinforces this absolute truth. And now in a spirit of self-leadership, since I've skidded entirely off of my script... I'm going to bring it back into the lane and just say this. The early Methodists 
were primarily men, and they were men who rallied together like a band of brothers who recognized that their common enemy was killing them and their families, and so they banded together like men in a trench in a war, fighting for each other's souls and for the souls of their families. And men, this is why you need to be in small groups. This is why you need to do more than come to worship on a Sunday morning. This is why you need to encourage one another, because all it takes... For men to step up and be the godly men that they are called to be by the Lord, all it takes is for them to band together with other men and feel that unity of purpose and that brotherhood and to say to the rest of the world, be damned if you want to, but here I stand. Here I raise my Ebenezer and with these men, I stand convicted and convinced that from here forward, it is not about me and it is with God and for God and that he's never more glorified than in godly spouses and sons and daughters and grandchildren. And you'll never force that to happen. You'll only do it by witnessing it to them. Amen. Amen.